Facebook page for me. What we're going to do is we're going to use the opportunity that people are thinking about terrorism to pray for Muslims. Okay? Now, before we can pray for Muslims, we have to know why we're praying for Muslims. So in the first service, I took my time to explain these resources, and I want to make sure that you see them there. Uh, somebody hacked my Facebook page, did a bunch of naughty things, so I have to use this page now. So I want you to see that I have the resources on jihad, sex, slavery, and Islam. Okay, that's their teachings. That's not something we make up and say bad about them. You have to understand, when somebody does something uh, bad in this world and puts it on Jesus, we go back to the Bible and go, no, that's not what Jesus said. So if somebody goes into the American history and says, oh, Bubba, he owned Kuta Kinte and said he was a Christian. See, you Christians do a bunch of bad things. No, we, we go to the Bible and we show that Jesus came to set the captive free, that Paul came to have slaves and masters get along and treat each other the same because they have the same master. And then Paul said anyone who steals a human being is a slave trader goes to hell. Can I hear an amen? So that puts a stop to it right there. So Bubba who owned Kuta Kinte was a sinner on his way to hell following a false version of Christianity. Does everybody get that? Okay. But when Muhammad owned slaves, female slaves, and had sex with them, that's his life. So Jesus didn't own slaves, didn't have sex with them. Is everybody with me? When a Muslim goes to war and has a sex slave and, you know, conquers them, conquers the people and has a woman as a sex slave, that's not anti-Muhammad, that's like Muhammad. Does everybody get that? So when you meet a kind, neighborly, nice Muslim in your neighborhood and they say to you, oh, this is, a, you know, 9-11, that's deplorable. I hate that. I don't agree with sex slavery and any of those things. Praise God for them. Say, thank you for renouncing Islam in these ways. Now go all the way and renounce Muhammad as a prophet because that's what he did. Does everybody see that's how you use the gospel to show the bad fruit? You show them that's the bad fruit of Islam. So if you're turned off by those things, you need to then renounce that prophet who did these things. Just for an example, I want everybody to see this. We're going to change it up just a little bit, but I believe you can handle it. Uh, this one right here, this is an Islamic website. Do you guys all see this right here? This is an Islamic website, and it says, What is the ruling on intimacy with slave women? Please click on that. Just click on that. I, as a professor, someone with my doctorate, I cannot get away with conspiracy theories from Alex Jones. You guys listening to me? Or QAnon. That's not what I do. When your pastor wrote a book on Islam, your pastor wrote it by their sources. This is their website. This is not my website. This is not a Christian website. This is the question. The author talks about these things, and it says, what is the ruling on concubines? Why can we have sex with them and it not be haram? Why, and like a Muslim is asking, hey, if we're not just supposed to go around and have sex with whoever we want, why can we have sex with our concubines in the way that we get our concubines through slavery, and can other Muslims have concubines? Now just go ahead and just scroll up just a little bit right here. 
He's going to say the Muslim is going to answer very clearly with regard to your question about it being permissible for a master to be intimate with his slave woman. The answer is that it is because Allah has permitted it. Does everybody see that? Show me one place where a Christian is saying God has permitted Bubba to own Kutakinte or Aunt Jemima and to do her wrong. Does does everybody get that? See, that's the difference. Christians during the time of the Civil War went to war with cult Christians. That's what the Civil War was. Do you guys understand that? I need some help here from you. When the North went to fight against the South, didn't they both claim to be Christians? So who was the true version? The North. And the other version was the cult. That was the false version of Christianity. They went to, so we fought over this. So when someone says like, oh, Christians, you're just as bad, we'll talk about the Crusades. No, we won't. It's not comparing apples to apples. You're comparing, you know, apples to pineapples. It sounds the same to the world, but it is directly opposite. This Muslim man is clearly telling you the reason why you can do it, the reason why a master can be intimate with a slave woman is because Allah has permitted it. Now he quotes the Quran. You may have sex with anyone who has guarded their chastity except from their wives or the slaves that their right hands possess. For then they are free from blame. So you have to prefer a virgin And that's the way um, Muslims teach their daughters to be, is to be virgins. But if you become a slave, that's why it says, or the slave that your hands possess. You possess these slaves. These are not your wives. You're only allowed four in Islam, four wives. And you can divorce them as a man at any time by saying a certain word, a phrase, okay? The women can get out, but much, much more difficult. But a man can say, I divorce you and go right to the next one instantly. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird world they live in. That, that's a whole different discussion. But listen, the woman is a, if the woman is a slave, you possess that woman. Then you are free from the blame. That's the Quran. And then now, just go and scroll. These names here, right up there, these are the names of their scholars that then say you can acquire them as war booty. Now, this may touch home for our sister from the African continent because this is not a joke. Okay, we're going to be praying for Muslim nations here in just a minute. And, and what they'll do in these Muslim nations as, as Christians live under their oppression, because believe it or not, Christians are the most pervert, preferred people for them to oppress. In other words, they don't have any respect for pagan cultural religions, any uh, like the Hindus, any of those kinds of things. But in their their religion, because Islam bit so much off of Christianity, people known as Al-Kitab, people of the book, are given a status as a higher form of a slave. You're still a slave, but you're better than the kufar. You're better than the infidel who doesn't believe in God, worships many gods or their ancestors, okay? So Christians can be married and be taken, but here's what they'll do. They think they're doing the favor, but they'll say the daughter's converted. So they'll keep the Christians around because uh, Muhammad was a cult leader who wanted to gather in Christians. Most cult leaders always want Jesus on their team to get what they want from them. Hello, somebody. Okay. So now watch this. And I have the story here. We'll go back to the resource where they take these girls from Pakistan and and then they say, oh, but she confessed uh, Islam. So now watch. If she denies, 
Then they're going to kill her for the blasphemy law. If she denies being a Muslim, they're going to kill her for that. But if she says, I'm a Muslim, then she has to stay with the man. Now imagine being a Christian family in Pakistan where they run their nation. A lot of these nations are run this way. Imagine the nation being run that way, and you're trying to complain to the government saying, they've kidnapped my daughter. And the guys go, nope, she's confessed Islam. And the girl is scared to say anything. And if she does, normally she's put to death too. So she'll go along with it to spare her life. Because then if she denies it, she'll be killed for blasphemy. Are you guys listening to me? So we're going to pray for Islam during uh, second service here for 9-11. So these are their scholars. Okay, now go back to the Facebook page here, please. So th these are the resources. Go up here. I made the post. So I have explaining sex slavery. I have explaining uh, jihad. You can understand jihad is prescribed. And the only reason why they don't do it now is because they don't have the upper hand. They don't have the ability to wage war against the West, but they do wage war in their countries, and they do wage war against the people they can oppress. Boko Haram in Nigeria, um, Al-Qaeda, ISIS in the Middle East, and these different places, they are doing what Muhammad told them to do. That's what he told them to do. And I, and I could spend my time going through this, but I don't want to. Then I give you an example of a girl who was just kidnapped. This was recent. It's happening all the time. But just click on this one, 13-year-old girl. It was in August of this month. Go and click on that there. And you can read about her story. And I try to not give it from Christian sites because there are Christian sites that report on these things. So once again, when Joe, your pastor, gives you resources, I want you to have it from the horse's mouth. Are you listening? When I give you my teachings about Islam, I'm not, I have the Christian websites that go against Islam. I have some of those there. A former Muslim, Al Fadi. He was from Saudi Arabia. He's a Christian now. And he does wonderful shows on Islam. And he's exposing it, okay? But when I give you the actual source and data, I want you to go to the horse's mouth. I want you to go to where they can't lie to you. So when you're talking to your friends, now here's how I would use this in preaching. Well, okay, so you don't agree with sex slavery, but your your religion teaches it. Let's go to Islam Q&A.info. You read it. Now will you renounce it? Because I want to see you become a Christ follower. The Bible says many uh, wolves will come in sheep's clothing, but you'll know them by their fruits. So we do this out of love. And um, you've heard me do this with my neighbor. We've shared neighbors that were Muslims, and I've talked with them, and they try to argue, they try to disagree, and then what they'll want to do is get lost in the details. Well, it was a different time then, and this word doesn't mean this. And no, no, no. Take them right. I give you the best sites because I've done this a lot of times. Take them to the actual Muslim leader sites that I showed you where they know, the, they know the Arabic, they know the cultures, and you heard the answer. That's the answer. So be very honest with them. Here's, here it is. Uh, this is from asianews.it, asianews.it. Zavari Parazaz, 13, was taken from her family in late April under duress. She was forced to claim that she had converted and moved in with a Muslim man consensually, but the Pakistani justice system ignored all laws against child marriage. That's, I mean, that's not just the end of the story. That's the beginning. Thousands, thousands of these young girls are taken advantage of all throughout northern Africa, all throughout the Middle East, all throughout these lands, okay? Now, if we can go back one more time, please, to the Facebook post. I've given you all these resources because we will pray. Now, Open Door USA, click on them. The most persecuted nations in the world are either communist or Islamic. But I want you to notice how many are Islamic. So when 9-11 happened, I want, I want everybody's attention, please. When 9-11 happened, we got a taste of what the world has been dealing with all this time, especially our brothers and sisters. 
So here is the open door website. You can go through it. Now notice this. Let's count them out, okay? Afghanistan, one, Islamic oppression. Somalia is clan, but it's still Islam, okay? Libya, Islam. Yemen, Islam. Nigeria, Islam. Pakistan, Islam. Iran, Islam. Saudi Arabia, Islam. Sudan, Islam. Iraq, Islam. Syria, Islam. Maldives, Islam. I've lost count. Qatar, Islam. Egypt, Islam. Uzbekistan, Algeria. Martania, Mali. Turkmenistan, Morocco, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Central Africa Republic, Niger, Tanzania, Uman, Jordan, keep on going here, Turkey, Tajikistan, Brunei, Brunei, and Kuwait, and Malaysia. I lost count. I lost count. That's Islamic Sharia law in those nations being brought over Christians because at any time they can say to the Christian you blaspheme the prophet and blasphemy is death according to Sharia where does Sharia come from the Quran their holy book plus their hadiths the traditions of their prophet so like we just have the Bible we go on the Bible alone Catholics have Bible and tradition Muslims are like Catholics in that way they have their Quran and then they have their traditions then among the Sunni and the Shiite, the Shiite are predominantly in Iran. The Shiite are a smaller sect, and then the Sunni are all the others. They disagree over the branches of tradition. Sometimes people want to compare it to Protestant and Catholic. No, they're both like Catholic, but then one is like Catholic, and the other one is Orthodox. But both Catholic and Orthodox, if you want to know the Christian tradition, both take Bible plus tradition. Is everybody following me? Bible plus tradition equals Roman Catholic or Orthodox. That's like for them, Quran plus Hadith equals Sharia, either under Sunni or Shia. And Shia is mostly Iran, and Sunni is the rest of the billion population. Iran has a few hundred million, and the rest of the billion population is, is, is Sunni. Shia is Iran, the smaller one. And then you see all these nations here with their Sharia law. That means what I'm doing right now is illegal in all of those nations. If they allow the Christians to be there, they cannot speak against Islam. They are only there as dimmies, as those as lower slaves. They do the menial jobs. They're kept around for the, for the task of doing what Muslims don't want and for their women to become integrated into the Muslim population, as you're just seeing there in Pakistan. Now, why did I say all that in 9-11? Do we... Do we want to honor the firefighters? Absolutely. Do we want to honor those who died? Absolutely. It's a tra tragedy in America. Absolutely. But what is the biggest tragedy that's going on that we just got a taste of at 9-11? The evils of Islam. And so today we need to be wakened up to that. Um, if you were not alive in 2001, raise your hand so you were not even around. Look around, guys. We got a lot of young people that were not even here. Okay. The rest of you, how many of you were old enough to remember where you were and what you were doing? It's a memory. Same, same. I have it as a memory. And what happened that day? Our safe zone was invaded, and we got touched by the evils of Islam, okay? But here's the last thing I want to say before we pray. How do you think they view that day? especially those in those Muslim nations. If you ask your neighbor, they may be just as upset of it as, as we are. But once again, remember, that's hypocritical towards what they believe. 
If you look up the rejoicing over 9-11, many of those Muslim nations were celebrating. Why? Because they view us as the great Satan. They view us as Goliath. When you read the story of David and Goliath, do you feel sorry for Goliath? No, you're happy that joker went down. When you hear about Samson dying so that thousands could die with him, do you feel sorry for the Philistines that day that Samson did that? Come on, let's be honest. No, we were uh, in the first service, somebody brought up the walls of Jericho. Do you feel sorry for those in Jericho? Now think about how a Muslim views us. If you're going to preach to them, you at least need to understand them. Those that hold to the traditional form of Islam, they are not liberal Muslims. They are not compromised Muslims. They are the real deal. Those people look at us and all of our pornography, all of our homosexuality, all of Katy Perry kissing a girl and liking it, RuPaul drag queens, and they go, do it again. Bomb them again. Get another plane. Try again. Go to war with them again. And in their mind, we're the Goliath, the filthy, dirty Philistine, and they're the small David willing to take us on. Now, ask yourself this question. Could God be using this as judgment towards us? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Because they're not right in how they're approaching us, but are they right to view America as satanic in all the ways that I just mentioned. No respect for our women and sexuality. No respect for the human body. No respect for all of these things that now happen on our streets, all the gangs and all this. But what is the solution? Is the solution war with us to conquer us? Physically to fight us? Is that the solution? No, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to pray today for Muslims. We're going to scroll. Just take your time, brother, and scroll right back up slowly. Get some of these nations in your heart. You can obviously go on your own phone and do it, but we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for our nation because, yes, we're under God's judgment in a lot of ways for the wicked things that we've done. And it's right that we've got some enemies. People don't like how we've done things. That's right. But we need to pray God for mercy in the land because we don't deserve planes going into our buildings. We may have done things wrong, but we don't deserve that. And so, yes, we need to repent. And Muslims need to understand that as they crashed that plane into that building and shouted Allah Akbar, which is their like hallelujah, as they gave praise to their God, they found out real quick who their God was. Their God was Satan. And the angel that they thought was named Gabriel that came to visit Muhammad was a deceiving demonic spirit. And so I have Muslim neighbors we have Muslim friends. My son, one of his good friends he hangs out with is named Ali in the community. We love them. I think they come from Uzbekistan, right? Uzbekistan. And you know what? We're praying for them. Can you pray with me now for our nation to repent of its sins and then to pray for our fallen heroes and then pray for Muslims? Amen? Because that's the biggest thing going on now. Father, we thank you today that you've given us time to gather in this great country to remember all that you've done for us. We pray now that you will bless our nation with the fruit of repentance, that we will repent for the sins that we have committed.
that we will stop be, being a reproach to the other nations because of our perversion, our violence, our greed, our corruption, that, Lord, we as Americans will be holy and that we will expect more from our entertainers. We'll expect more from our governmental leaders and our businesses. We have been the greatest support of freedom, democracy, and charity and missionary work around the world. And we pray that that testimony will continue as you bring purity and holiness to our land. Father, I'm reminded of the great prayers of thanksgiving from Abraham Lincoln and George Washington as they made time to thank you for what you had done during that holiday season as well as to repent. I pray that we would remember some of those prayers and live according to them. Father, we also remember the families of those who were innocent, who died that day, whether in the planes or the buildings or the firefighters. And we pray for you to continue to be with those who have their family members missing, children without parents, parents without children, spouses without their loved ones. We pray for peace to be with them today and for all those who have had to go to war to fight a just cause. And now lastly, Lord, but what I feel is most important for this season is for us to pray, Father, for one billion Muslims in these nations of these precious people in Somalia and Libya and Yemen and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, oh God, in Indonesia, Malaysia, Bangladesh, oh God, these nations in Northern Africa, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit revival to come. We pray for you to protect our brothers and sisters. We pray for you to guard them from the evils that are planned from them by wicked people. And we pray for these, these Muslims to become Christians as so many have already, having dreams and visions and mosques, having themselves encounters with you, oh God. We pray just like the sisters in Iran who got saved and started handing out Bibles until they were arrested. Lord, we pray for stories like that to abound all throughout Iran and Iraq, the Middle East, South Af uh, North Africa, God, throughout all of these countries. May the gospel become great as they lay down their lives for you, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can we bless the Lord today? Because he wins. Jesus wins. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. If you're glad to be in the house of God, can I hear an amen? Amen. We've had two of these uh, vents pour down water as a sign of the reign of the Holy Spirit in our service. So if at all you see that begin to come, just say, yes, Lord, I receive. Uh, so that's why we have a bucket up here. It's not for a second or third offering, though it won't be denied if you want to drop something in there. But it is because we've been having some water issues. I'm glad you made it safely. I had to drive through about two or three feet of water a couple times today. Did anybody else have to face some high waters? Amen. Did the Lord make a way where there seemed to be no way? Did you cross over to the other side? Amen. God was good. He brought you here. Now look with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Possibly the conclusion of our mini-series on the identity of the believer perfect in Christ. Somebody say perfect in Christ. Amen. Thank you. Look at it with me. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, talking about Jesus, admonishing everyone. And it's in the King James there, so you can leave it, but I'll come to that in just a moment. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully maturing Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ has so powerfully worked within me. And if you look at the King James, it says that we may present every man, what? 
perfect in Christ. That's why I represent the number seven. I'm a kingdom citizen, perfect in Christ. Amen? Y'all perfect in Christ? This is the message. I've been going through this last few weeks. I pray that it's been encouraging you. It's been so encouraging to me because I see every time I preach it, I live this out better. If you want to ask me, what has Christian life been like? It's been believing what God did in me the day I got saved. That's what it's like. What, what happened 25 years ago, Jesus? Tell me again. I want to believe it. I got to get better at, at trusting you in this. Because sometimes I get confused. Sometimes I feel like my situation is changing my identity. I feel tempted. That must mean I'm a wicked sinner again. You know, I have to learn to trust God in what he did that day. Now, if you notice here, it says Paul wanted to present the people of Colossia. That's why we call it Colossians. These people of that wonderful city, he wanted to present them perfect in Christ. So what does that mean? They had to be first for them to be presented perfect in Christ. Would they have to be first? Perfect. If I'm going to present my child to my wife uh, you know, filled with good food and not hungry anymore, that means that child has had to have eaten. Now, that's sometimes a problem with me as a father, which I know nobody can imagine that. But whenever I go out and do stuff with my kids, look at my wife shaking her head. Whenever I go out and do stuff with my son, especially my oldest, uh, we don't eat. Because I don't eat when I do stuff. So if we're like going wakeboarding and we're leaving like around 2 and we come home at 8, guess what we didn't do during that time? We didn't eat. So I present my son to my wife hungry and I say, feed him, you know. And I know some of you want to call Child Protective Services on me now. But uh, my wife's gotten smart to it, and then she'll, uh, she'll send them with a bag of food, you know, like something to snack on and all of that. But, but here's, here's the thing. I can't present my son to my wife in a way that I'm not responsible for. I'm responsible for that, so I, I, I take responsibility. So if he comes to her hungry, whose fault is that? That's mine. But if he comes to her full, which I'm trying to get better at it, every now and then we'll stop and get snacks somewhere. Okay, I'm not always that bad. Sometimes we'll stop somewhere, I'll give him a treat, you know. And if I present him to her full, he's full. I present Lucas to Nancy full. Who gets the, the praise for that? Or who, who, who do you say is a good father? That's me, right? So now think about this. Everybody get this. When Paul says, I'm going to present you perfect to Christ, whose job is it to do the perfecting? Don't say Paul, because Paul can't perfect you. Paul couldn't perfect them. Whose job is it? It's actually Christ's job to get you full of perfection so that when the apostle has done his job, Christ gets you back full. You see, I like to look at it like this. When I send out my kids to go get gifts for their, you know, um, their teachers or for us as parents or whatever, you know what I do? I give them the money. I make sure their wallet, their card is full to get whatever they need. So if they're going to go get Nancy, you know, a Mother's Day gift, and they come back and they don't have anything, is that my fault? No, because if I gave them the money, that's their fault then, right? It's their fault. Now look at it. Did God give us perfection or not? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And then I want to go into the practicals today because I've been putting it off for a long time. But I want you to see it. The new creation has been given to us by God. And then guess what? He wants it back. He wants us to be perfect as his Father is perfect. And he gave us perfection at salvation. And therefore, when he comes at his second coming, he wants to see that we still have perfection. 
Somebody say, use it so you don't lose it. Do you know that the words of perfection, being blameless, are actually in the context of being kept? Something that you keep. It's not something that you're looking to try to get a hold of. It's actually something that you already have and that you're to keep. Let me show you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen. Now go to verse 21. Let's read that together. One, two, three. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now go to second, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 through 23. Now notice this. You're a new creation. Are you an imperfect new creation or a perfect new creation? Perfect. And what kind of creation are you? A righteous one or an unrighteous one? A righteous one. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May God himself, see God's involved in this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be what? Kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And what? He will do it. Who will do it? He will. Won't he do it? Come on, I say, won't he do it? Yes, he will. He'll make you holy. He'll make you sanctified. He'll clean you through and through your spirit, your soul, and your body. Hallelujah. He's faithful. And won't he do it? I want to preach right now. Man, get out of teaching. Get to preaching. Come on, I brought a rag up for a reason. Man, I haven't used it in a while. It's been, man, it's been too calm, cool, and collected up here. I got to go back to my roots. Preach. Somebody say preaching. Amen. We got to preach the word. See, that's what it tells us. That's what it tells me about my identity. How can I miss it now? Sadly, religion does all the time because it's too good to be true to them. They want to now mess it up. It's like as if you have the cure and you don't like the color of it. You know, it's like a potion you got to take. You know, you got to take this uh, vaccine, you know, in the form of a drink. Oh, I don't like it like that. Can you make it purple? Can you make it blue? I want it to taste like cherries. You know what? You need to take this Holy Ghost medicine. It's good for you. Just take it as a T.I. is. You're perfect in Christ. Christ has made you a new creation. You're the righteousness of God. You have been sanctified through and through. And the only job that we have is to let God do his job. That's the job that I have is let God do his job. Keep it. He gave it to you. Now keep it. Adam and Eve lost it. We had to get born again, man. Don't get born again, 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 and again. Now that you've been born again, live the new life. Amen. Keep it. Somebody say keep it. Amen. You got to use it or you lose it. See, the world is going to try to get you into their rat race. I heard one preacher the other day, he said, I was listening to the Christian uh, you know, television. I couldn't tell if I was listening to a motivational speaker or a pastor. People aren't talking about these things anymore. They don't want you to have to live up to this expectation because they don't. They, they want you to be just as busted and disgusted as they are so that they feel good about themselves because they got stuff that they're ashamed of. But that's not how the Bible wants us to live. The Bible wants us to live perfect. The Bible wants us to live sanctified through and through. And the Bible doesn't want us now to look at ourselves like it's something we got to try really hard at to do. It's something that the Bible wants us to trust God to do. Won't he do it? It says the one who calls you is faithful. So imagine Nancy, let's just put this back to the food illustration. Imagine Nancy giving Lucas the bag of food. 
and Lucas comes back hungry. Whose fault is that now? That's Lucas. He didn't use it. He didn't use it. But if he takes that bag of food and eats it, and then he comes back full, man, that shows that Nancy's a good mom, right? Because she sent the food. She did her part. And then it shows that Lucas is intelligent enough to get the food when he needed. He's a good son. Do you see how that relationship looks in the Christianity now? Did God give us perfection, yes or no? He did. He gave us the new creation. Now, what are you going to do with it? You're going to go hungry? You're going to complain? You're going to say, like, there's nothing to eat when you got everything right here? Or are you going to use it? You're going to feed on God. Be full of the Spirit. This is why I'm not intimidated by the holiness message, and you ought not to be either. This message ought to be encouragement to you. Because I don't know about you, but man, my testimony, man, my testimony brings me to almost like just so much um, gratefulness that I don't even know how God loved me the way he loved me. Like, I don't, I, I don't even know why, like, Jesus, did, could you be that good to love me in that state that I was in? I didn't even love myself. Does anybody look back at their testimony and just have gratitude? Like, I look back at my testimony and, and you guys have heard me say some things up here about my testimony, and, and I always have to clarify I'm ashamed of them. But do you know that there are things that if they put up on a TV sh uh, screen right now for you to see, I couldn't even look you in the face. I would be so ashamed that I did as a sinner. The thoughts that I had, the actions that I did, the way I treated people, and I know all of us can relate to that in some way. You know, the Bible says even in your heart, if it's lust, it's adultery. I mean, imagine all the times that you probably lusted after somebody else's wife or girlfriend or, you know, they call it hot for teacher. But, man, that's adultery. You know, you lusting people here, uh, you know, angry. You no know, Bible says you're angry at heart. It's like murder. How many times did you wish you could murder people? I, I remember drawing comics of murdering people. Man, I was crazy, you know. Like, but God loved me. Man, think about that. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love in this way. What a beautiful, beautiful God that we have. There is no other God like our God. Uh, Catholics and Muslims have tried to make peace treaties and these different treaties. And the two mistakes that these Catholics make is they say that the Muslim God is the same God of the Islam God. It's not. Islam God is Satan. He is literally Satan. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He is a, he is a one that wants you to go where he's going. He's going to hell. And the second thing is that they say is that they're all children of God. And we're all not children of God. The Bible's very clear that you are a ch child of the devil under condemnation until you receive Jesus. Please go to John 3.16, and then I'll get to the practicals. Somebody say, make it plain. Amen. We're going to get to that today. We really want to get to that. But look at this famous verse. Can we read it together? This is the NIV. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now let's keep going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Here's the verse. Verse 18 altogether. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Do you know that the world by default is condemned? So when they talk to us and they say, well, I'm not so sure like when we're preaching to them, well, I'm going to go think about that. Listen, your indecision, your procrastination still keeps you in the place of condemnation. Mm, I'm going to say that again. Indecision and procrastination still keeps sinners in condemnation. So they're like, well, I'm not quite sure of this. You better get sure of it. 
Because your passivity, your inaction is keeping you in condemnation. They think in their mind they're a good person. They're neutral, and therefore they still have time to decide on what team they want to be on. No, the Bible says you're already on the losing team. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the Lord's glory, of God's glory. And so the way all of us should see the gospel message is not a chance to get an upgrade, but it's the only game in town to which you can be saved. In other words, you're sinking on a ship, and this is the only life jacket. This is it. That's why in the olden days when the preachers used to preach like this, sometimes in the middle of services they would get to moaning and groaning and falling right on the floor and weeping because they knew they were those sinners going to hell. They didn't know of other religions. They didn't know of different ways. They weren't that sophisticated. Now we go to the Internet. We'll find another pastor to say this. We'll go over here and say that. But back in those small country churches, man, when they heard the preachers talk about hell being hot, they began to realize, like, I'm probably going there. I need to repent right now. They used to call it the mourner's bench. They would, they would move them up like how we do altar calls now. They would say, sit up here and get it all out. And they would be weeping while the preacher's still preaching. The mourner's bench, look it up. Campfire meetings happen all around the country. That's how the Bible Belt got established. Not saying everything America did was right, but there was a lot of good preaching that was going on. Study about the Methodist movement and circuit-riding preachers and the mourner's bench and how these people would weep and wail when they would hear the preacher because they began to understand they weren't distracted by this world and all the temptation and the Travis Scott's concert and keeping up with the Kardashian. When they heard that preacher say, there's a hell, and those who are going there are these kind of people, they said, I'm those kind of people. I'm going there. And I think about what they repented over is what we now accept. They were repenting over stuff that our culture now accepts. They were repenting over their perversion. Now we call it, you know, a Netflix show. I can't even watch hardly the, you know, sometimes I like sci-fi. I, sometimes I just touch on, you know, I had to stop doing that. Now I got to look at all these ratings, you know. What, what they could now call mature is porn. I thought mature was more like mature content like Saving Private Ryan and stuff. You know, you got to watch out with these shows. That's why I don't know how Christians can watch Game of Thrones. Even the world says Game of Thrones is wicked. Come on, somebody. Man, you better get a, a, what they call these, you know, these softwares that you can filter this with, man. This is a wicked culture. What they were repenting over, Christians now even accept. And so going back to this understanding, there is no neutral zone here, friends. Going, going back to what Jesus was saying, if you're not believing in him, you're condemned already. But the beautiful news is, is that if I believe, I get eternal life. And what does that look like? That's life more abundant. That's perfect in Christ. That's a new creation. And now what does God want me to do? He wants me to keep it. Somebody say, use it or you lose it. Amen. Say it again. Use it or lose it. Thank you. Now go to Colossians. Remember, we've been in uh, chapter 1, verse 28. I want to show you these last couple of verses before I go into the practical aspect here because Colossians says so much. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. I've read it before, but I've got to read it again. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to what? What have you been brought to? Fullness. I don't know. Is it up there, my brothers? It is, but it's in the King James. Put it in the NIV form so they can follow along. Look at it again. Chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness. Thank you. How much are you missing of Jesus right now? Nothing. You and I, the moment we become Christians, miss nothing of Jesus. There is not one excuse for us not living how God wants us to live. 
And let me say this before I get on to the practicals. You have to decide really if you want to live for Jesus. Because when I talk to people and they're saying like, man, I'm not ready yet, that's another way of saying they still want their sin. Because how am I know if I said, here's a million dollars, you're ready. You're ready to receive. If I wanted to give you a million dollars right now, how many of you would be ready? Are you saying, let me think about it? If I said to you, here's a million dollars, no string attached, it's going directly into your bank account, you can do whatever you want with it, is anybody really here taking time to say, i got to think about this? No, because in their mind, they know what to do with a million dollars. That's what they want. Man, they, we work for it every day. You've been in preparation for it. So when Jesus says, do you want to be set free, and they say, I don't know if I'm ready yet, no, they're, they're telling you, that really I want my sin right now. That's what they're saying. The, the, the idea that chronologically somehow on a calendar it's going to change things, that is incorrect. What they are really saying is my heart wants this sin. But now, let me ask you this. Are they really choosing what is best for them? No, they're not. Because whatever their sin is, is temporary. What would you rather do today? Go swim in a Chicago pothole that's about four feet deep. My wife hit one last week, cost $1,000 to fix our van. How many know they can get scary sometimes? Blew up our whole van. Now you know they're about four feet deep with all this rain. Would you rather go swim in a Chicago pothole or go to Bahamas to Paradise Island and see the beautiful crystal clear water? Where would you rather be, Bahamas or Chicago pothole? You would want to be in the Bahamas. Now let me ask you something. What do sinners think God is offering them then? Because they keep choosing that Chicago pothole, don't they? See, they really don't have a problem with what we call sin because, yeah, they're addicted to it and all that. What they really have a problem with is belief in the goodness of God. You see, they don't believe in treasures of heaven. They want their treasures now. That's why they're greedy. They don't believe that God's going to give them a better marriage than their sexual partner, so they're going to keep leaving with their girlfriend. They don't believe that God can give them a purpose and to give them, you know, meaning in life, so they're going to keep doing what they want in their career. See, really, it's not just that sin is at the heart of the issue. It's really deception that allows them to be open to sin. Let me back it up a little bit. Somebody say back that up. Let me back that up. In the Garden of Eden, were Adam and Eve lacking any good thing? Did Adam and Eve need what was on that, uh, that tree? No, they didn't. But they got deceived to believe they needed it. See, that deception came before the sin. Having that conversation is what led to that sin. The idea that they were missing out on something, that's really the heart of sin. So when we talk about, well, homosexuals just love homosexuality, yeah, that's true, and they don't want to repent of it, but really the homosexual believes that homosexuality is what makes them happy. What God is trying to show us in what he is showing us, but we need to see rather, is that homosexuality and heterosexuality, if it's done and out of God's will, never makes us really happy. The temporary pleasure is actually a deception. Think about it like this. The rat wants the cheese, but does it want to get its head uh, cut off as the rat trap comes down? No, but you see that cheese brings them into the rat trap. You see, the sin brings the death, but you got to be deceived to want it first. So what they think is going to be good for them turns out to be a trap. It's the very thing that the devil does. He twists the plan of God to have enough in there that looks like what you and I want, but there's the real thing in it, the poison, that's going to destroy us. It's what's coming afterward, the aharit, as Michael Brown would talk about. It's the end of that thing. 
It's the end of that sin that leads to death that you don't see because you're so full of that pleasure in that moment. I brought it up in the first service. It would be good to bring up now just to, you know, to get us ready for the application. You think about sexual perversion, and you might say, well, you know, when I get older, that will go away. My dad has told me that in the retirement villages of Florida, they have an STD epidemic now. Because all those retired folk with extra time on their hand and expendable income are just hooking up. You think it would end when you're in your 60s, 70s? Not around there. Not in Miami, not in Tampa, not at these Del Webb communities. My dad says that he talks to these men and people that, that, that talk about it. They have STD breakouts over there. Why? Because the sinner will keep sinning. The sinner will keep sinning as long as they can. But let me put it to you this way. At some point, you're going to die. I'm going to die. Now, can you take that sin with you? Absolutely not. What will sinners find out on judgment day? It was all a mirage. Even like ACDC and these people singing about going to hell, when they get to hell, they're not going to want to be there. A lot of sinners think, oh, because God doesn't want me to sin and sinning sends me to hell, oh, that must mean I can sin in hell. No, you won't. The sinning will not continue in hell because guess what sinners needed to sin while they were here? They needed God's help. They had to borrow God's oxygen to breathe while they sinned. They had to breathe, uh, you know, borrow God's body which was made for the pleasure of sex, to use it for illicit sex. In hell, you have none of that. Even the philosopher who thinks, well, in hell, I'll outwit God. No, you were bankrupt up here, and down there, you'll have no sense or logic. Insanity. Think about that. Insanity. Insanity will be hell. Torment of the mind. Not being able to know your right from your wrong anymore to be totally removed from God's presence. That's what outer darkness talks about. It's not just literal darkness. It's removed from the light of God's knowledge. The fire that consumes the body is literal. I do believe that. But it's also metaphorical to all that torments a human. Mental anguish, regret, insanity, all of these things, aloneness. Anyone who thinks now Hell will be a good place for me, no matter how deceived they are. Marilyn Manson, no matter how deceived they are. Rock and roll people. When they get there, they will then realize they do not want to be there. That is not where they will want to be. It will resemble nothing like a Marilyn Manson concert. It will be nothing like ACDC. It will be nothing like the philosophy of those who were atheists. It will be everything opposite of what they found even pleasure in here. Because they'll... Their temporary pleasure was a mirage based on their abuse of God's resources. And God, in his goodness and kindness, will now remove those resources from sinners and say, you now have what you wanted from the beginning, which is a place without me. So you don't get my mind to perform logic to try to contradict me, which is like a child sitting on the parent's lap slapping the child. If I take the child off my lap, can't even reach me. The only reason why philosophers think they can touch God is because he gave them minds, but they can't slap them. They can't touch them with their logic, but now he removes that from them. The sexually perverse removes them the opportunity for that. Now they only have the torment and the longing, the drug use, the addiction, removes all the ability to get the satisfaction. Now all they have is the torment of the addiction. Somebody say, God, have mercy 
I mean, that's why we pray for them. That's why you should not turn away from the Lord. This is a real place of torment. But the opposite of that, what does the Bible say? In his presence, the Bible says, is joy. Not just any kind of joy. The Bible says the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. So as I've mentioned before here, and it's good to mention again, C.S. Lewis says it like this. It's not that the world likes pleasure more than the the Christian. It's that the Christian truly knows where to find the pleasure at. Going to the example of the pothole or of the Bahamas, we both like to swim, don't we? Or both like to get in water, those who aren't afraid of it. We both want to get in it. It's just we are smart enough by God's grace to go to the ocean instead of the pothole. We all want the joys of sex, of love, of marriage, of conquest, of, of, uh, of philosophy, of knowledge, of wisdom, to learn things. But where does the Christian go to find their joy? In God, of all of those things. Joy doesn't come from philosophy, but when a philosopher thinks on the things of God and contemplates him, then he gets joy. Joy doesn't come from sex alone, but those in marriage who become one flesh, they get the joy of the union of God. Amen? Now let's go to the practicals. Thank you, Jesus. Look at chapter 3 of Colossians. Do you believe that you have been perfected in Christ? Yes or no? Amen. Now what do you do? Look at what he says. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Because you can't put your mind on earthly things and expect to live like Jesus. You can't be where the chickens are and expect to do what eagles do. You can't be where pigeons are and expect to do what the falcons do. What do you want to be in life, a chicken or an eagle? Then get your mind on things above. You and I cannot live as pigeons and call ourselves Christians. God did not call us to live that kind of life. We can't live as chickens and call ourselves disciples of Christ. The true Christ follower is like an eagle soaring on the wind. The wind is what enables that eagle to do what it does. Have you ever seen the images of how an eagle soars? It is the wind beneath the wing. It is that force of the air that keeps that eagle where they are. And what God is saying is this is how you will do it. Number one, you will set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Let me just read the first part of it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, hallelujah, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Oh, I'm excited about that. You know, the Catholics, they don't have everything wrong. One of the things they have right is Christ died for our sins. But that's not what the Bible says is to keep up pictures of some white, blonde-haired Jesus that's all skinny and emaciated on the cross. That's not what we're supposed to be putting our minds on. We're supposed to be putting our minds on the resurrected Jesus Christ who defeated death, hell, and the grave and is sitting at the right hand of God. Think on that today, brothers and sisters. That's what you do practically. You cannot think on the things of God and then do earthly sinful things. There is no way I could ever lust with the heart of God. 
I have to turn my mind towards other things to walk out of the mind of Christ and the perfection. I have to turn my mind away from I Because remember, my default as a sinner was sin. Now my default as a saint is living holy. I have to go against the default to lust, to lose my temper, to act in rage. You know, not all uh, anger is sin, but to sin in my anger. I have to go outside of what God told me to do. And how many know when you are there at that point of decision, the Holy Spirit's already touching your heart? How many of you have known what it is to grieve the Holy Spirit because you forced your way into a sin? You pushed past the hand of the Lord to do that wicked thing. Can I hear an amen from anyone that's ever been convicted by our good Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? None of us fall into sin by accident. The consequences may be accidental, things we did not plan. But no, my friends, we don't fall into sin. We go up about 30 steps on the high dive. We bounce a whole bunch of different times, put on the hair cap, and jump right in. And we fight against the Lord every time. I stand by that. Not just some of the times. I believe every time I have ever sinned since being a Christian, that Holy Spirit, my precious Holy Spirit has been there to teach me not to. Not just my conscience, because my conscience was okay with a lot of sin before I got saved. There was stuff that I felt bad about, even as a sinner. Maybe I shouldn't have stolen from that person. Maybe I shouldn't have gotten to that fight, did that person that way. I mean, I got convicted even as a sinner. But after I became a Christian, as we talked about last week, I was convicted over sins I hadn't even read in the Bible yet. And it's been like that ever since then. That's why we talked about last week, if some of you are not experiencing that, you may not be genuinely converted. Because a truly converted heart will know the things of God. So set your mind on the things of God. The, the first thing that we now do to walk this out is say, my thoughts must now be on his thoughts. So if I'm ever thinking thoughts that I know are going against him, then I have to be quick to repent. Because where the mind goes first, the body goes second. Your body will never go someplace that your mind didn't tell it to go. You are not a zombie. That's why even now, you know, with these Walking Dead shows, some of these zombie shows, this, this zombie fa fascination, I think that's a spiritual onslaught to people's consciences to see a human disfigured and disformed living underneath the image of God. I believe it's desensitizing us to the image that God made, made us to be in, beautiful, holy, and dignified. That's why even with my kids, when it comes on and, the, and then that gross stuff, I just get past it because you weren't made to see the image of God controlled by brute beast instincts. You weren't made to see the image of God to be degraded, to look something gross and despicable. You were made to make angels jealous. <laughs> I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. You were made to be the envy of angels. Angels looked upon us and said, wow. And now we worship angels, fallen ones. Are you listening to me? You were made for angels to sit back and go, whoa, whoa, God, you really, you did. I, God, God, I see what you did, God. You made them like you. I say jealous, but you know what I mean. We were made to make angels go, wow. We were made in the image of God. They weren't. Could you imagine when the angels first saw us? There's stories that are written in Jewish mythology about what happened, that they were supposed to honor us, and they did it, and that's why they originally fell. And then out of their jealousy, because they were jealous of us, they came and wanted us to fall, but God wanted them to honor us. It's in Jewish and Muslim myth. 
Muslims got it from the Jews. The Jews thought that, that the angels were supposed to honor and service because the Bible says that they are in the New Testament. Jews didn't even have the New Testament, but the Bible says in the New Testament, he makes his servants uh, ministers of fire that serve us. And so some of the stories go in that, you know, that pre-fall state is that the angels were then told, now you serve them. And Satan goes, no, I don't want to. That's one of the myths. Another one is that he was receiving worship and took it for himself, right? But here's the idea. You and I were not meant to think of ourselves like zombies. Why is the world so fascinated with that? Because they already believe that's what they are. They came from the goo through the zoo to you. They're mindless. They're just creatures of instinct. They're no different than the dog or the animal, right? And that's why they have a fascination with that. And when they, when they talk about their problems, they talk about their demons. How many have heard people talk about demons? I got these demons or sing it in a song, you know? You know why they're doing that? Because they know there's things about them they don't like, but they don't feel they can change. I remember my friend, he was my age, and he started going on this anxiety, depression medication. And he said, Joe, he told me this. And he, he wasn't a prophet, but it sure sounds like one now. He said, Joe, 10 years from now, every kid will be on these. He was right. Because he started dealing with depression. And you know what they do? Give him chemicals. Give him chemicals. And I'm not saying anything wrong going to the doctor trying to get help. But that became so abused now that you look at all these children on all these drugs. They don't even know what it's like to be sound mind anymore. I was listening to Post Malone. You know, I, I, sometimes I listen to stuff, okay, guys? Let me just have a talk with you. I kind of like, I was talking to my wife the other day. She's like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, you'll be surprised what kind of pops up on my YouTube and that I get interested in and then the next one comes up. I was listening to this interview by Post Malone on um, the talk show with the, the Jewish guy. What is his name? Um, Howard Stern. Who were you going to say? Shapiro. That would have been cool too. I don't know if Shapiro, I don't know if Ben Shapiro's interviewed Post Malone. That would make for a cool interview. Thanks for participating. You, you definitely were there to help. I appreciate it. I'll take it. No, Howard Stern, kids, guard your ears. Parents don't let your kids watch it without your permission. Oh, this last one, though. Anybody see it? Howard Stern, Post Malone. I'm the only backslider here. Okay, pray for me. Pray for me. Man, dude, he talks about suicide. And he talked about this song that he wrote out of it. Post Malone, man, you made it, dude. You came from nothing. Now everybody knows you. You're so nice. I mean, the guy's lovable. You got to give it up for him. He's a nice guy. He's not the kind that really wants people to think of him more than what he is. He takes time to be with his fans because, yeah, I started getting more stuff from him. So I'm kind of like up on post right now, you know. Um, guarding my heart, okay, guarding my heart. It's not what comes in. It's what goes out, okay, not making excuses, but guarding my heart. And I, I just, my heart broke for him. I'm thinking, how many more do we have to lose before we realize this is not the answer? But you see, the world wants earthly things. They're, they're screaming for help, but they still go to the, you know, to the empty well. And here we are as Christians, ashamed to share our testimony. Man, I just pray that someone will share their testimony with Post Malone. I pray that someone will not be ashamed of the real gospel and actually share it with him so that he can understand the reason why he's not doing so good, the reason why all this is messed up is because he hasn't been raised with Christ. He's living as a zombie. He's letting his demons take him over. He needs to get saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, born again, made a new creation, made the righteousness of God perfect in Christ, full of all God's goodness, and set his mind on Jesus. 
And wouldn't that be great to hear a, mind, a song from Post Malone? Now he's got his mind set on Jesus, you know? You know, now they say, congratulations. So glad that we made it. Yeah, we made it. You made it, Post. You made it to heaven. He comes up to heaven. What do the angels say? Congratulations. We're so glad that you made it. Come on. I'll redeem all of those songs in Jesus' name. Don't mess with me. I'll go back into the studio, take them all over, say, no, this is what you meant. This is what you meant. This is what you wanted to say, because that's how you were made. Go to the next one. It says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Well, I can't do it. I, I thought the can't left when you got born again. I thought you could do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens you. I thought greater is he that's in you and me than he that's in the world. How can we now say I can't? We need to say I can in Jesus' name. Impossible means I am possible through Christ. Amen? This is not a limitation to me anymore. They're trying to figure it out. It's been figured out. I'm not trying to win a race. The race has already been run. I'm just trying to do what Jesus said. I'm finishing the race. Amen? But the race has already been won. I'm not trying to be a conqueror. I'm just holding on to being made more than a conqueror. I'm not losing it in Jesus' name. I'm keeping that which has been given to me. Did you see how that just switches everything in Christianity? You see, if you're in Christianity and you're thinking you got to go get the victory, then you never get it because you'll never be good enough. A broken thing can't fix itself. Can a broken car fix itself? Then why are you trying to fix yourself? I told that to somebody yesterday in the line as they're getting food. Well, I'm just working on me before I come to God. Man, how are you going to do that? You need God to fix you. That's like, a, that's like me washing my car before I take it to the car wash. And listen, I don't got the soap. I don't got the sponge. You know what I'm saying? You can't do it. It's impossible. Can something broken fix itself? It can't. Can, can your broke down car tow itself to the mechanic? Well, I'm going to one day do this. One, no, man, here's the day right now. The Bible says it clearly. This is your day. It's the day of salvation. Right now, this is your day, the day of salvation. Wake up, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Woo, I'm thankful that I got to do it. Man, I pray that you get to do it. How many have already done it? Come to Jesus. Put your mind on him. Put to death these things. I'm thankful I get to do this. Why am I now going to argue with him? Well, I can't. No, he's going to take me back to the scripture. And that's why I'm going to tell you, man, what is 25 years of Christianity? Letting God do what he does. Stop arguing with him. I've gotten so convicted over my temperament and my uh, lust and my greed and all those things over the years that, man, I've asked the Lord to give me 20-20 vision, give me, you know, a binocular vision. Lord, let me see temptation before I'm at the edge. Lord, let me see temptation way back here. Let me know that if I skipped a meal because I went wakeboarding and then I come home and then my wife says something and then I'm touchy. Lord, let me see how this whole thing plays out because my earthly nature is predictable. It is predictable, is it not? I mean, I know some women are going to say a certain time in the month. It's not as predictable. But for most of us, can we say that it's predictable? And even for women that go through emotional changes, it's still predictable you're going to go through an emotional change. Sometimes I have to look at my wife and I say, it's just, it's just you know, it's just that time, baby. It's okay. I love you and nothing has changed. Everybody here still loves you. And why do I bring that up? Not to make it weird, but, you know, women's bodies, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery. And as one brother said, it's a wonderland. The, 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 the great theologian, the great theologian John Meyer, Mayer, talked about the woman's body. It's a wonderland. It's a, it is. You're going to lose your mind up in there, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing we know about the woman's body. It changes. 
I watched my mother-in-law go through menopause. You, you want to talk about wrestling demons. I was like, come on, mother-in-law. We love you. We love you. Hug me. Hug me. Okay, but listen, you give a man, you take a man out and don't feed him for eight hours, that hangry going to come out the same way. That demon of hangry going to come out. But our flesh is predictable. I know it. My wife's going to act like this at these certain times of month. I'm going to act like this when I don't get food because I starve myself. I, I need to help myself and stop doing that. I know that if you do this to me, you punch me in the nose, everything inside of me is going to want to break you. How many know men, even if you get bumped in the nose, it's on. There's something about the nose. You don't want to be touched in the nose. Anywhere on the face. Don't touch my face. You know what I'm saying? Like it's predictable. Like we know our flesh acts this way. So then do something about it. Put it to death. That's what the Bible says. Stop treating it like it's your pet. As one pastor said, this is how we need to treat the flesh. Not like the way some do. You know, imagine like uh, you come into the bus stop and there's been a puppy that's been following you all the way down the street. Maybe it's a stray cat or some stray animal. And, you know, this is not how you do treat the flesh. You don't go, go on now, go back home, go back home. No, because then the thing's going to try to follow you into the, uh, into the bus, right? You know what you do? You stomp your feet. You yell at that little naughty little alley cat and you go, get out of here. And then now the cat gets. Get on, get don't play with your flesh like it's your pet. Oh, this is my pet anger. This is my pet lust. This is my pet greed. This is, no, don't play with it. Get out of here in Jesus' name. Talk to yourself sometime and say, I am not my stomach in Jesus' name. I don't need a second brownie. Amen. Talk to yourself. I don't need to look at that. I don't need to listen to that. I'm free in Jesus' name. Tell the devil and your flesh you're in charge. Because God gave us power. God gave me power over this. God gave me power over this. Amen? Amen? You got power over this. Your appetites, your thoughts, your emotions, your heart. You got power over what your hand does. You got power over where these feet take you. The Bible says, blessed is the man that does not stand in the way of the wicked or, you know, walk in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight upon the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. Amen? What does it say next to do? It says, rid yourselves of all these things. See, set your mind on Christ. Put to death these things. Verse 8, rid yourself of these things. And then what's the next part there in verse 9? Take off the old. And then what do you do in verse 12? Clothe yourself with the new. And then in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule over you. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell in you. I mean, that's the good preaching right there. This is how I can do perfect since I've been made perfect, right? Come on, this is now how I do it. There is no trick to this. There is no extra conference fee for this. This is Christian living. Paul laid it out. I want to present you, he said, perfect in Christ. Now do what God told you to do. Set your mind on the things of God. Put to death your flesh. Rid yourself of these sins. Take off your old self. Clothe yourself in the new. Let the peace of Christ rule in you and let his message dwell within you. Whoop, there it is. Amen. Everybody's looking for this answer, and we have it right there. We have it right in front of us. Go to the second scripture, because I do want to end this today. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Lord, help me and give you some patience. Amen? Let's give you some patience, and Lord, help me, because I want to finish this today. 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3. That's how Paul taught it in Colossians. Look at how now Peter says it. Peter and Paul working together. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You don't lack anything. As that example was talking about, my child has everything now they need as mama prepares that lunch for them. You have everything you need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. That's why we're going to set our minds on him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, watch, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Can I have an amen. Amen. Thank you. Now go to verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Notice it starts with faith. I believe this. Somebody say, I believe. God said, I'm a new creation. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. That's what you got to say to yourself. I believe it, and that settles it. I'm going on now. What do you do? Add to your faith goodness. Add to goodness knowledge. Keep growing in the things you're supposed to do that are good. Add to that knowledge self-control. Let the Bible and the Word of God control you, not your emotions, feelings, or thoughts or others. And to self-control, perseverance, don't give up. It may not feel easy at first. It may not go well for you at first. You may not do this well, but you keep persevering. And then to your perseverance, you add godliness. You believe you're made to look like Him. Some may say, I am who He said I am. I can do what He said I can do. Amen. That's what you believe. I'm God-like. I'm like God. God made me to be like him. I'm made for glory, not gory. Amen. And to godliness, mutual affection, brotherly love. I'm going to treat others the way I want to be treated, and then I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, look at verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. See, they went right back, as the Bible says, a dog to vomit, a pig to its mud. In my example, they go right back to the Chicago pothole. I'm leaving you, Bahamas. Where are you going? To a pothole. That's what it looks like for a backslider. Well, I'm leaving you, Jesus. Where are you going? Back to the devil to be a slave to sin. That's what it looks like. Don't do that. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You see, God has already called you. He has already elected you. He has given us perfection. Remember, we just got to keep it. So make sure to confirm it every day. You confirm it. Check, you know, like I got these uh, doctor's appointments. I got to check my phone and say, I confirm. Every day, go to the Word and say, I confirm it, Holy Ghost. I want to live like Jesus today. Amen? For if you do these things, you'll stumble every now and then because nobody's perfect. Is that what it says? You know, every now and then you're going to lust because after all, you're a dude, and that's what dudes do. They can't help themselves. You're just appreciating the art. Is that what it says? Well, this is your culture, and every now and then you're going to let the Italian come out, the Puerto Rican come out. You're going to let it come out, the European. You're going to let it come out, that Greek going to come out. Is that what it says? No, it says, for if you do these things, those things we just mentioned, increasing from faith, to goodness, to godliness, all of these things. You do these things, you and I will never stumble. I love it that the gospel's that good. It, man, it, it's, it's just not all right. Like, oh, that's all right. No, this is good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. No, that's not what your counselor said, right? You guys got me on that one. But, but how about this? I'm not just all right, dude. I'm good. 
How are you doing? I'm all right. Oh, too bad for you, man. You could be good. You could go from that all right, deceived by your temporary pleasure, to good. Hey, man, wish you were not all right, but good like how I am. Now, what if somebody says good? Well, I'm doing good. Say, are you good like God? Hey, man, I'm, how you doing? I'm doing good. You good like God? No, man, ain't nobody like God. I am. I am. That's one of my attributes. I'm godly. I'm godlike. Is, is it wrong for Thor in the superhero movie to say he's godlike? That's who he is. The dude flies with a hammer. His dad, his dad is whatever his dad's name is, Odin. He's godlike, right? Is it wrong for Michael Jordan to say I can ball? That's not pride. It's pride to say you're something that you're not or to look at what you are and take credit for it. Those are the two definitions of pride. To say you're something that you're not. If you can't ball like Michael Jordan, don't act like you can. Or if you can ball like Michael Jordan, to take credit for all your ability. Michael Jordan couldn't even jump unless God gave him feet, legs, oxygen, heart. You couldn't play sports without God. Amen? But now go back to this. I'm God-like. Oh, man, that's prideful. No, it's not. He said I was. He said he made me in his image. He said Adam and Eve messed it up, but he sent his son to die so I could get it back. And now I got it. Amen? So you're saying you're perfect? Yeah, in Christ. I didn't do it. He did it. Are you telling me, this is what I would say back to him. Are you saying God who is perfect can't make somebody that is perfect? That sounds like a limitation on my God. If my God says I make someone perfect, I, I'm going to trust him that is perfect. Now, if they say, do you always act perfect? You can say, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. That's what God and I are working on. God's teaching me how to trust him because that first thing we learned up there, if you could scroll up just a little bit, please, my brother, is faith. I'm learning to trust him so I can be good. I'm learning to trust him in the goodness so that I can have more knowledge, so that knowledge can go to self-control, to not giving up, to be like him, to love my brother, and to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's what I'm increasing in. I'm increasing in that. But there's nothing more that I need to do for here in my salvation. My salvation is perfect. My nature is perfect. Whenever I don't act perfect, he has to come back and reset me to default. But he's good enough to do that for me every time. Amen. First John says, I write these things that you do not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. You want to join with me? Because God doesn't want you to sin either. Another way that we said it like this is when you believe God made you sinless, you'll sin less. When you start believing that God made you perfect, you'll get better at doing perfect. And what we need to do as Christians is keep that in sight. Because when we lose sight of that, we forget our testimony because it, it comes from our testimony. It's the same grace that saved us is going to keep us from those temptations. And so today, as we get ready to close out, Daryl, if, if you could come, please, and I appreciate your patience, what we just need to do is trust God. Our biggest failures in our sins come from our lack of trust, come from our lack of faith, not putting our mind on him. So before we uh, close out today, I'll, I'll call up the band and altar workers in just a moment, but let's just pray. And ask the Lord to show us some habits that he needs to break in our lives right now. And if you've already been through a lesson like this and you don't have any of those habits, maybe God's already broke them, then just thank him. But right now, for those of you who want to be honest and say, I need some things to change, look at your heart right now and put them in your focus. What are the things of your life that you want to see change? Even though I've prayed it like this many times before, I'll let you know what mine are. I want to see God change my temperament. I don't want to be so quick-tempered. I want to be slow to anger. Even though not all anger is sin, I know that I still sin in anger. And I want God to, to take that habit so I never do it again. I only set my mind on responding to things His way. So if I am angry, I can say, this is justified. 
For me, lust, I don't ever want to have a sexual temptation, or I mean a desire. Temptation is something you can't stop. But I don't want to give in to the temptation of lust ever again in my life. I only want to have eyes for my wife. And then lastly for me, I don't ever want to be jealous. Oftentimes I look at what others have and I go, I wish I had that. And it gets to that point where it moves from adoration towards, man, I don't think they deserve that. And God has to check me and go, hey, don't worry about them. You focus on what I'm doing. So those are my three. So I'm going to put it out there. You don't need a prophet today to say, Pastor Joe struggles in these areas the Lord told me. He told us in the prayer time. Come on, now what are yours? What do you want to see broken off your life as a habit, something that's been continual, and you want to see progress, you want to see increase in the right direction? Right now with those things in your mind, set your mind now on Christ and raise whatever that is to the Christ level and get away from the pothole and go up to the God level of where that's supposed to be. Raise up your mind now on those, those things, those temptations. Raise them up to the heavenly realms. So for me, instead of being angry in my flesh, I'm now going to have the emotions and mind of Christ. Lord, I thank you for the mind of Christ. I set my mind and emotions on you. I will not be led by my hangriness, by how people treat me, even if it's a little hot and I get agitated, Lord, I'm going to have the mind and emotion and the response that the Holy Spirit has. I'm raising it up in Jesus' name. I'm setting my mind on Christ. And I will put to death any emotion that comes outside of the mind of Christ. I make that commitment right now. As I'm teaching you how to pray, pray it in your own way right now. I commit my heart and my life to the sexual union between my wife and I. I raise my sexuality above lust. I set my mind on what purity looks like, true love, family, honor, respect. And Lord, I put to death by your grace right now anything that would be led by hormones, pheromones, memories, temptations, internet ads, I put it to death in Jesus' name right now. And lastly, everything to do with jealousy, I raise above jealousy right now and I come to contentment in the blessings of God. I will be content with all that the Lord has given me because I am blessed to be a blessing. And I put to death any greed, any jealousy, any anxiousness to proceed further than what God has led me. Come on, you're hearing a pastor pray. This is the opposite of Catholic confession, amen? I'm confessing to the Lord all that I believe he has for me today. Now, what are you doing? Last few moments before we bring these altar workers up here because they needed to do that too, didn't they? Pray in your own words. Amen. You can work your way through the rest of Colossians in this prayer. Just a few more moments. I put to death those things, and now I put on, hallelujah, the right emotions, purity of mind, contentment, I let the peace of God rule in me. I will be at peace in those temptations. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil will be where I live. That's where, that's where my peace will be. And I will dwell with the word of the Lord in my heart that with that temptation comes back. I'll be ready for it because I got my house built on the word of God. When storms come, I will be ready in Jesus' name. A few more moments. Will you be ready? Build your life on the word of God. Practice that word right now. Put it into work. 
Work that word and it will work for you. Paul did this with his church. We're doing it here today because God wants us free. This is how he intended us to live. In the last few moments, if that's you, would you begin to, uh, if you've received that today, would you begin to stand up, raise up your hands, and thank the Lord, as the Bible says, and the altar workers and band will begin to come. But if you feel like you have prayed and you have received, would you just begin to raise up your hands as you stand up and just start to thank Him? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Freedom is here. You don't have to be in a hurry or stand up just because I said to stand up, but I'm just letting you know that's a great way to dismiss today is standing up in faith, thanking him, counting it as done. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm adding to my faith goodness today. Hallelujah. I'm adding to my faith self-control and all of these wonderful things. There's nobody like you, Jesus, who can take us from the miry clay and set our feet on solid ground. Hallelujah. Oh, if you could get that classic song in closing. Um, he set my feet. Yeah, lover of my soul. There we go. Just a few more moments as we're all standing up. Come on, keep those hands raised. This as a sign of surrender and worship because you're surrendering to his will now, right? Right, you're leaving out of here his way. You're not doing it in your strength. It's him that provides the meal, right? He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Every temptation that you'll ever face, there'll be a way of escape from this day forward. Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. And Jesus, you will never let me go. You've taken me from the miry clay. You've set my feet upon a rock, and now I know. Love you, and I need you. And though my world may fall, I'll never let you go. My Savior, my Savior, my closest friend. And I will worship you until the very end. Come on up for prayer as we sing it again. Jesus, if you need prayer, come on up or just worship. We'll dismiss in a moment. Thank you again for your patience. But let it set in. We're going to be moving on to another a sermon series after this. Take it all in what God did in this time. You're perfect in Christ because of what he did. Worship him for it today. Stay in it. Appreciate it. Hallelujah. Confirm it. Oh, I love you, Jesus. a good Savior, you're my closest friend, come on, say, I love you, Jesus, I love you, oh, I need you, 
one more time. I want Des to sing it over this congregation. Sing it. I love you. Let them hear you sing it, woman of God. Come on, sing it from your heart for him. Receive that freedom today, brothers and sisters. Make this your heart cry every day of your life. God will never fail us. He'll never let us down. Do you trust him? Come on. Amen. Let's join with her now. deliverance come on up we do believe in casting out demons here in Jesus name if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues they have power to be a witness we'll pray that for you as well in other words we want to see you saved we want to see you sanctified filled with the Holy Ghost and being used of God everywhere you go that's the Christian life that's the more than enough life that's the above the average life and guess what it's just the beginning the bible says you're now going to go if you have those things you'll go from glory to glory to glory it should never get boring or old living for jesus so if you need encouragement today to keep loving jesus we'd love to pray for you but those of us of 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 this church you know this is our message let's make sure now we share it with others amen Those who want to keep studying it and make your decision on it, that's up to you. But for those of us here who've committed to this, let's make sure this week we preach it to all of our friends and family. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that your salvation message is changing lives. And I pray that it will continue to change lives, not only in this day, but every day that we're alive until we see you face to face. And Lord, as we come back to this place next week, may we come with more of our friends and neighbors and, and, and people we work with, Lord, so that they can get saved and experience this wonderful life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless them, saints? God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Come up for prayer. Otherwise, we're going to worship whatever song the band wants to sing, and just hang out with the Lord. Otherwise, thank you again for coming. God bless you. Come on. God bless you. God bless you.